When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, during Sleep Number's President's Day sale, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed plus special financing for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. See store for details. Coming up, the latest Dorian forecast. No Sharpie required. The lead starts right now. Breaking news, a tornado tears apart homes as part of Hurricane Dorian unleashing its fury on the Carolinas, the flooding, damage, and even explosions as the storm plows up the coast. It was like an atomic bomb went off. The damage left behind in the Bahamas, hard to believe. Entire neighborhoods reduced to rubble. Our correspondent who spent the night in the hardest hit area joins us with stories of survival and despair that you will see first on the lead and... With American lives in jeopardy right now, President Trump is today sticking with his bizarre focus after using a laughably doctored map to push a false claim about the storm. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to the lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and we begin with breaking news. Deadly Hurricane Dorian right now taking aim at North and South Carolina on the east coast of the U.S. The Category 2 storm crawling up the coast, dragging out the danger. Tornadoes, such as this one, have even been reported. Another one hit Emerald Isle, North Carolina, tearing apart homes in this RV park. Hundreds of thousands of people do not have power across three states, the Carolinas and Georgia. And survivors in the Bahamas are just beginning to assess the damage from Dorian. The U.S. Coast Guard has rescued at least 135 people in that country after entire neighborhoods were flattened. One surviving Survivor telling CNN it was almost as if an atomic bomb had gone off. I'm from Tampa, Mary Bahamian. I just want to let my family in the States know that we're okay. I'm so sorry. Thank God for life. It's it's not just us. Everybody's hurting. We're not any worse than anybody else. Everybody is hurting. Words can't describe it. I don't wish it on nobody. We have our team of reporters spread out across the uh, south and monitoring the storm in the CNN Severe Weather Center. Let's start with CNN's Rosa Flores. She's in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Rosa, tell us about conditions there. You know, conditions have been deteriorating all day long. Right now, I'm live from a location that uh, shows some flooding. This is actually the first flooding here in Myrtle Beach. We're seeing about nine inches right now. It appears that this waterway here on the north side has flooded over. And uh, Jake, I can swing the camera around and show you. These individuals over here just tried to drive through this area. And of course, they were stalled 
and now it appears that their car is not working. Uh, that, of course, is what officials say you're not supposed to do during a storm. But here in Myrtle Beach, we're expecting the worst of it, the brunt of the storm at about 6 p.m. Why 6 p.m.? Well, that's when the eye of the storm is expected to be closest to this city. Now, according to the mayor, her biggest concern is what you're looking around me, the flooding, the potential flooding, and the storm surge, Jake, four to eight feet expected in this area. Jake. All right, Rosa Flores, stay safe, please. Now let's talk to the mayor of Myrtle Beach, uh, Brenda Bethune, who joins us on the phone. Uh, Madam Mayor, you're at your emergency operations center. Uh, we just saw flooding in Myrtle Beach. Uh, how are conditions overall in your hometown right now? Right now, everything seems to be holding up really well. Our infrastructure is holding up well. We did expect some coastal flooding, uh, especially closest to the beaches, uh, especially with the high tide and the storm surge. We know that the worst is yet to come, so we will wait to see what happens with that. But as of now, everything seems to be doing really well. Throughout the Carolinas, there have been reports of tornadoes as well as power outages. What is your greatest concern right now? Is it the flooding? Really, it is the flooding. We had such a horrific event last year with Hurricane Florence, where we literally had days of rain, three days of steady rain. And areas around us were flooding that really closed off Myrtle Beach from all of the roads to get out of here. So we are watching the flooding very, very carefully. We don't think that it will be anything like we experienced with Florence. So we're prepared for it. We're prepared for the worst. And we just are waiting to see what comes later this evening. And uh, Madam Mayor, Myrtle Beach obviously is under evacuation orders, but not everyone has left. Uh, how many do you think remain percentage wise? And, and what is your message to those who are attempting to ride out the storm in Myrtle Beach? You know, it's hard to make everyone um, evacuate. And we had over 100,000 visitors in town during Labor Day weekend. We feel very confident that those visitors are out of town safely. As, as far as the residents, if you are in your homes, things may look calm right now. But as I said, we don't know what's coming later. The worst is yet to get here. And I just encourage people to stay in your homes. This is not the time to be out riding around taking pictures because we don't know exactly when things are going to uh, kick up, such as winds or fallen limbs or power lines. It's just too dangerous. Myrtle Beach Mayor Brenda Bethune, thank you so much. We'll be thinking about you. And obviously, if there's anything you're not getting from the state or the federal government, please let us know and we will bring attention to that. Thank you. CNN's Brian Todd is in Charleston, South Carolina. Nearly half a million people have evacuated the state so far. Brian, you've been seeing flooding. You've even seen some transformers blowing up. That's right, Jake. And before we talk about that, I'm going to show you how it's still a perilous situation here on the streets of Charleston. Just a short time ago, we were transmitting less than a block away from here when this huge magnolia tree just toppled over. It hit this pole right here. But then take a look at what it did over here to, to, the, to the lines. It hit the lines. The lines knocked down that pole. And so this is a very dangerous situation here. First responders have come. They've roped off that part of the street down there. You can see those power lines down. 
We just saw some police uh, going to these houses behind me, uh, knocking on doors, trying to get people to leave because of the fire hazard and the, uh, you know, just the overall danger of these lines being down. Now, that transformer that you mentioned, we uh, rolled up on that uh, a few hours ago. We went down to Market Street, which was flooded in downtown Charleston. And as we were getting there, uh, we saw this down power line still, you know, emitting live currents into the water, whipping around, uh, just sparking, smoking. And then every couple of minutes, a, a very violent, dangerous explosion would occur. And, you know, the whole street, got that whole street got knocked out. But every time... Uh, that explosion would occur. Uh, the, the businesses next to us would uh, experience either a power surge or they, you know, go out of power, then come back on a couple of minutes later. Uh, and it was just, it was a very dangerous situation. We had to warn people who were walking around and driving around to get out of there, Jake. So they're not out of the woods here yet. This is kind of the danger that officials here are telling us that people have to be wary of. Even as the storm moves away from Charleston, the danger is trying to come back to your home too quickly and encountering situations like this. That's right. A lot of the fatalities uh, occur after the storms have already passed. Brian Todd uh, in Charleston, thanks so much. Let's go now to CNN meteorologist Tom Sater for the latest forecast. Tom, tell us where Hurricane Dorian is now and where uh, he is uh, headed. Well, after the last couple of days, Jake, uh, Dorian stayed approximately 100 miles off the coast of Florida, parallel the entire coastline. Now it's closest approach. It's now 60 miles just south of Myrtle Beach. It's about 110 from Wilmington, but it's those strong eyewall winds that are within 20 miles now. So we're still seeing a surge threat. The good news for Charleston, they were looking at near record levels of water just behind Hugo of 1989. Didn't quite get to 10.3 because at high tide at 2 p.m., those strong winds on shore were just to the north. But now we're seeing winds come in from the back edge of Charleston in the harbor, trying to push that water back off shore. So that's good news. However, five to eight feet storm surge still, yes, very possible and will occur. The eye seems to be collapsing somewhat. It's not going to change the category. It's still a category two, but even that doesn't matter much because the winds continue to broaden out. The hurricane force winds are now outward 60 miles. The tropical storm force winds are out at 195. So so it could still even be broader than that. It's going to move up the chain. The warnings are in effect for hurricane warnings to uh, from around uh, up toward Norfolk. And then in your area, of course, it's tropical storm warnings. But it's the tornadoes. You showed video earlier. Typically, we'll see little spin-ups with these feeder bands that are EF1, EF2. But those are massively large tornadoes. I haven't seen something quite like that. But it's that heavy rain bands to the north and then the core moving in. That's going to cause some pretty good flooding into the Carolinas. Watch out Cape Fear. Watch out uh, Cape Look out. This is not over with, and it's going to be with us for several more hours. All right, Tom Sater, thank you so much. Only a few buildings are still standing. Our correspondent just got back from one of the most devastated parts of the Bahamas with some heart-wrenching stories of survival. You will see first this hour. Plus, we are following Hurricane Dorian's path up the coast where uh, we're going to go live where the storm is headed next. Stay with us. Tornadoes ripping through the Carolinas caused by Hurricane Dorian miles away, adding to the mass destruction of this Category 2 storm. I want to bring in CNN's Ryan Young, who's in North Carolina, where one of these tornadoes hit. Ryan, how much damage have you seen? 
Uh, we've seen a tremendous amount of damage in a short uh, period of time, but I want to show you something right now, Jake. This has really stepped up in the last five minutes or so. The rain, the outer bands have picked up. You can see the signs here as they started to get ready for this. Florence was really a big impact here. In fact, this entire uh, street here was covered in water. In fact, that's what residents are worried about. But we have to show you what happened in Emerald Isle about 30 miles from here. Look at this video. This was an uh, area that was hit by a tornado early this morning around 9.30. This hit with such uh, ferocity that people who were on the inside of the homes, who stayed actually, were very scared and were actually regretting the decision they made to stay behind. Now, coming back here now, you can see the rain is hitting pretty hard. Our iPhones have started going off with the tornado warnings uh, in this area. So at some point, of course, we'll seek a little more shelter. But you can see the heavy rain, especially out there toward the waterway. That's what people are concerned about in terms of flooding. And we've been told even by the police chief here that once the water starts getting bad in this area, they may not be able to respond because they've dealt with such heavy flooding before. The rain hitting hard, the wind is actually starting to pick up. This has really started to turn in the last 10 minutes or so, Jake. All right, uh, Ryan, thank you so much. Stay safe. Uh, let's go north now from Beaufort to Kill Devil Hills, North Carolina. Uh, joining me on the phone is Mayor Sheila Foster Davies. Uh, the town is under mandatory evacuation and bracing for the storm. Uh, Mayor Davies, thanks for joining us. Do residents of Kill Devil Hills still have time to get out of town? They do, but it's a very short window at this point. Um, starting at 8 p.m. tonight, uh, we will be imposing a mandatory curfew. So if anyone's trying to evacuate, please do so, but, but you're really limited on the time now. I've been to your beautiful town before. It's where the White, Wright brothers uh, took their first historic uh, flight. What, what is the biggest concern right now for Kill Devil Hills? Um, so overall, it's just personal safety, making sure um, people are doing everything they can to, to be prepared and then stay safe throughout the storm duration. Um, on the back side of the storm, our biggest concern is we expect um, significant sound side flooding. Um, initially, the sound is going to be sucked out with the wind direction. But on the back side, so when people think that it may be calming down, we anticipate storm surge anywhere from four to seven feet above, above ground. For anyone who is planning on staying behind, even though there is this mandatory evacuation, what do you want them to do to stay safe? Stay inside. That's why we've put this uh, curfew in place. Oftentimes people want to go out and look and be the first one to snap the footage and, and film of, of what they're seeing, but they need to stay in and stay safe. We're expecting hurricane force winds um, for a number of hours starting in the early morning hours. Um, and then, like I said, the, the storm surge. And until we can get out and assess damage at whatever point tomorrow afternoon, we just we need people to comply with our, our warnings and, and orders. Mayor Davies of uh, Kildova Hills, North Carolina, thank you so much for your time. Stay safe. If there's anything that you're not getting from the state or federal government, please let us know. We'll bring attention to it. Thank you so much. As Hurricane Dorian lashes the Carolinas, President Trump has been busy on Twitter, falsely trying to prove to the world that he was right about something he tweeted on Sunday. Why this is all about so much more than just a Sharpie scribble. Stay with us. Our politics lead with Americans in the Carolinas in danger from Hurricane Dorian. President Trump right now, at least based on his tweets, including just moments ago, is focused instead on defending his decision to show a sloppily augmented map of the storm's projected path. The president using this map in the Oval Office yesterday with this extended track drawn in apparently Sharpie, apparently done to justify his claim on Sunday morning 
that Hurricane Dorian would most likely hit Alabama much harder than anticipated. That's a claim that was outdated and refuted by the National Weather Service. The Sharpie scribbled map the president showed was from days before, from a week ago, last Thursday. Alabama's own CNN's Caitlin Collins picks up our coverage from the White House now. President Trump is now on day five of insisting Alabama was in the path of Hurricane Dorian. Uh, But that was the original uh, chart. After being ridiculed for displaying a forecast map altered by a black marker to prove his point, Trump tweeted today that Alabama was going to be hit or grazed and then Hurricane Dorian took a different path. He now says he was referencing early predictions when he claimed Alabama could be impacted. I know that Alabama was in the original forecast. But he first made that assertion Sunday, long after the state was ruled out as a potential target. While the Gulf Coast was shown as a possible threat for Dorian's track in early projections, by Friday, the guidance had shifted to Florida's east coast, two days before Trump said this. This just came up, unfortunately. The president canceled a trip to Poland to monitor the storm, and the White House said he was being updated every hour, meaning he would have known that information. Instead of admitting the error and moving on, Trump is insisting he's right even tweeting out projections last night from over a week ago with dated information. The spaghetti models the president is using as a defense are updated four times a day, meaning by the time Trump made this claim Sunday, Alabama could even be in for at least some very strong winds and something more than that it could be. They had been updated at least 15 times. It's against the law to knowingly issue or publish a false weather forecast Though right now, both FEMA and NOAA are referring all questions back to the White House, where aides are refusing to say who it was that altered the map and won't rule out that it was the president. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Now, Jake, regardless of who it is that did alter that map, right now it's clear the president does not have any intention of admitting he was wrong about Alabama because he's still continuing to tweet about it just moments ago. Even as this hurricane is now hitting the Carolinas, the president is still tweeting old maps that showed that there are chances it could potentially affect Alabama. Maps from over a week ago that the president just tweeted out several moments ago. And right now, the people we've spoken to said they do not expect the president to stop anytime soon, Jake. All right, Alabama's own Caitlin Collins. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Uh, Amanda Carpenter, because you wrote an entire book about this, about how President Trump gaslights the American people. Look, no one disputes that a week ago there were some projections that showed a possible slight effect on a small sliver of Alabama. The point is that on Sunday, by the time he started warning Alabama, those were outdated and the projections no longer no longer said Alabama was in the zone as the National Weather Service late a few minutes later said so. Why is he doing this? I think all of this is done in service to his ego. He wants to constantly present himself as this chosen one, once-in-a-lifetime president who can only defeat the most historic threats we've ever faced, right? So if he has the chance to hype the storm to something bigger than it is, of course he will do so, even if he has to take out a Sharpie and extend the map westward. Um, he's done we don't know for a fact that he did that, although uh, it everybody... It definitely wasn't the guy with the Sharpie on his desk. Okay. Um, well, but he's done this Sharpie. in other occasions. He hyped the humanitarian migrant crisis at the border into a national security threat. When he was campaigning for president, there was a protester who got rowdy, and he tried to say that he was maybe perhaps a member of ISIS. This right. is something that he does so that we can be thankful when these 
made-up threats are overcome or diminished. Manny, I know you have theories. He, I mean, not just the made-up threats, he also keeps going, I've never come across a Category 5 hurricane before, because each time he has to big up the threat. And look, if you were a writer on House of Cards or even Veep and you came up with Sharpie Gate, you would be fired. This is ridiculous. The president would never do that. But we have this toddler-in-chief who's now into day five of tweeting about this stuff. His press people are like, why are you talking about this? Because he keeps tweeting about it. He could have let it go. By his standards, by Trump's standards, this is a small lie, a small error, a small mess-up. But he can't let it go, as Amanda points out. And there's a serious point here as well, because we can laugh about this, Mm -hmm. but a president who won't accept the weather or the direction of a hurricane is not going to accept the result of an election that he loses next November. He's not. And Deputy Press Secretary Hogan Gidley uh, tweeted in part, quote, watching the media go ballistic over a black Sharpie mark on a map would be hilarious if it weren't so sad. The real news that matters here is a deadly hurricane continues up the coast and tens of millions of Americans could be greatly impacted. I agree with the second part of that. The the real news that matters is a deadly hurricane and Americans are in harm's way. Poor Bahamians, a few dozen of them at the very least, have have been killed. But we're covering it because the president just did two more tweets on it. He won't stop talking about it. Exactly. But the president, I think, enjoys all of this because this becomes a media story. And if you are a Trump supporter, you uh, believe him on this. And he has done a very good job of discrediting a lot of things. Never mind the fact that he's in the wrong here. But I think the bigger point here is not the fact that likely the president, uh, Drew Alabama, whoever or someone in the service of trying to please him, of which the West Wing is full of people, it is the fact that the president's word, both in this country and around this world, must stand for what is accurate, what is in the moment, is true. Imagine after 9-11 if President Bush would have said something that was factually just not, uh, you know, accurate at that point. You have to be able to believe what your government is telling you. His own government said, Sir, that isn't right, but he won't let go of it because he likes this back and forth. And we're not talking about a variety of other things, like the fact that there's not a real agenda that's happening for 2020. They haven't, you know, he's, uh, I mean, he's not talking about gun control, other things. So anyway, uh, he's happy to talk about Alabama. Uh, Republican strategist, senior commentator Anna Navarro asked this question in response to the Trump news quote. You guys still want to talk about Joe Biden's gaffes? I mean, she's, he's making the point. Yeah, yeah, like- she's making the point that, yeah, people do want to talk about uh, Joe Biden's gaffes, and, and he makes quite a few of them uh, in, in any number of ways, whether it was sort of mixing up this story about uh, a military uh, a veteran. And, yeah, she's making the comparison that when it comes to Donald Trump, here he is uh, making up a fake hurricane, the fake you know trajectory of a hurricane, uh, and, and focusing, I think, on his own ego, right, making this about himself. Yesterday, as you said, the folks in the Bahamas devastated, right? 20 people, people died so far. It's, yeah. People were killed. I'm sure there are unfortunately probably more uh, people who died. Folks in the Carolinas, where my family's from, you've got a, uh, you know, c- connections there too, Jeff. Yeah, we're, we're concerned about those folks there, but the president here are really trying to, I think, in the service of his own ego, kind of go back in time and make himself correct when Ever, everything shows that he was inaccurate. And just a reminder, it's all going to get much worse. Right. Uh, nothing left but still alive. CNN talks to one woman who rode out Dorian with her family in one of the hardest hit areas of the Bahamas. Stay with us. It's not just us. No, Everybody's hurting. We're not any worse than anybody else. Everybody is hurting. And we thank God for life. In our world lead today, new and shocking images from the Abaco Islands, one of the hardest hit areas of the Bahamas. One of our CNN reporters traveled there to document the destruction and then she could not make it back. Paula Newton and her crew had to take shelter on one of the islands there and spend the night in a home with 
others, others, including storm survivors. Paula joins me now live from Nassau in the Bahamas. And Paula, you spent 24 hours on an island with no power, no water. The people there were storm survivors, were terrified. We're glad you're, you're back and you're okay. Tell us about it. I have to tell you, Jake, we were so overwhelmed. Jerry Simonson and I, the cameraman, with me by everything that we saw. But most of all, most of all, Jake, we were overwhelmed by the trauma these people are feeling and everything they have gone through and have yet to go through. Take a listen. It is so much worse than they had feared. The Abaco Islands forever scarred now by mass destruction. Home after home, entire rooftops blown away, debris scattered in unrecognizable heaps, boats tossed like confetti. The images belie the obvious question, how could anyone survive this? I don't know we get it. Okay, 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 okay. We arrived by helicopter in Manawar in Abaco with Billy Aubrey, embracing his wife Shauna after days of not knowing if she was dead or alive. Shauna hunkered down with friends in their seaside home until the roof blew off and they all scrambled to find anything oh still gosh, standing. So Nancy, this is what kept you guys alive, this little this bathroom. This little room kept us alive. This is it. We came in and hunkered down, and Shauna was on the ground crying, and we were just trying to... Oh, was hysterical. And what did it sound like in here at the time? Oh, it was loud. It was a, well, there was a lot of crashing. and uh, crashing. Remember all the crashing and banging crashing. and whirling. And, and stuff we thought was coming through this wall. So many in the Abaco Islands lived through hours that resembled a horror movie, exposed to winds that topped 215 miles an hour, like tornadoes touching down every minute. The words can't describe it. I don't wish it on nobody. Nobody, words can't describe it. There's, they could never categorize, categorize this never my grandfather ran it was out like an little... atomic bomb went off residents here tell me their little island paradise is unrecognizable even to them they're resourceful and self-reliant they say but they could have never imagined a storm as powerful as dorian you know there's no better way to describe to you the force of hurricane dorian to be right here where people rode out the storm in their living rooms in their dining rooms i mean look at this the roof blew off the house here the entire kitchen came down their refrigerator ended up here on the ground their living room and dining room furniture is strewn all over people describe these things being tossed around the island like projectiles they all cowered hovered in their bathrooms, in closets, anything they could find to take shelter. There are now the beginnings of recovery, but only the basics. Medical attention, private helicopters to take out those who are sick, the elderly, young families. I'm sure it'll never be the same again. But I mean, the people are strong here. We're going to try to do our best to rebuild the best way we can. But we know um, it'll never be the same. This was a storm of biblical proportions, Abaconians tell me. And yes, they worry. It will take a miracle to recover from it all. 
And Jake, think about everything that we just heard, everything we just saw. You can repeat that thousands of times over. Spoke to a man from another island in Abaco who told me that there was a storm surge. He had gone under. His son reached out to hold him up. He really wanted to let go. He couldn't take any more. But he said, no, I'm not going to let my son see me die this way. And he got himself out of there. Sorry, Jake. So tough. Um, Paula, you were not supposed to spend the night uh, on the Abaco Islands. What happened? So we were at a staging area here in Nassau, and there are flights everywhere. Uh, they just couldn't get us back with the way the air conditions, the, air, the airline traffic, the helicopter traffic, obviously. There was a problem. It's so difficult, Jake, on the island I was on. I mean, they cleared the baseball field so that we could land, so that we could get ourselves in, Billy in, and get that, to that kind of reunion and get some supplies in. So we had to stay there. You know, these people in Manowar, they had been through so much, and yet they didn't blink an eye. We said, we'll sleep on the beach, we'll sleep on the grass, we don't care. No, they took us in. And a special thank you to Marsha and, and Angel Cruz. I know they have relatives in, in Florida. Thank you so much. Uh, and what we saw there is what people are grappling with right now. Of course, Jake, they're thankful. They're thankful for being alive. Uh, but when you see the way they are living, I mean, they took all the food out of the refrigerator, the cruises, cooked it. That's all they really have. They have some more provisions in the grocery store. But they're wondering what comes next. Their kids are supposed to start school. And it's things like that that this island is beginning to grapple with. And, and Jake, there's more. On this island, things were fairly under control. People are starting to worry about things like disease. They hear the death reports and say that will inevitably go up. And they are starting to worry about un unrecovered bodies, things like cholera so much to worry them at this place and, and, and as they were told us on the island Jake they worry that they won't be able to return at least not in the fashion that they were there now living there full-time Paula Newton in Nassau in the Bahamas thank you so much for that powerful report we appreciate it he was President Trump's first Secretary of Defense and now he's breaking his silence for the first time since leaving the Trump administration former Secretary and retired General James Mattis joins me live next Who's going to pay for the wall? 100%. But it's not Mexico. It's you and your tax dollars, and specifically your tax dollars that your elected representatives had allocated to the U.S. military. $3.6 billion are being taken from military construction projects to pay for the border wall that the president cannot get Congress to fund. Nearly $400 million of that diverted from projects in Puerto Rico, still suffering from past hurricanes Maria and Irma. Another $17 million from Tyndall Air Force Base in Florida after President Trump promised back in May he would help service members repair previous hurricane damage there. $13 million no longer going to a daycare at Joy, Joint Base Andrews in Maryland and goes on and on. In total, 127 military-related projects on hold for now so the wall can be built. I want to bring in retired general and former Secretary of Defense James Mattis. He's out with his brand-new book, Call Sign Chaos learning to lead. I want to get to your book in a second, uh, Mr. Secretary. But first, does it bother you to see U.S. service members deprived of these various projects, including child care facilities, um, ones approved by Congress in what is essentially an end run around the, the, the logical uh, and established appropriations process? Well, it, it's a concern, certainly. And I think what we see right now is the inability of the executive branch and legislative branch to come to an agreement on what is the problem. And so no matter what solution is proffered, uh, they don't agree on it because it's not the problem the other one sees. And one of the things I learned in leading is the first thing you better do is agree on what problem you're trying to solve 
or you're probably going to have a bit of chaos uh, come out of the process. So let's turn to your book. In the book you write, um, if you haven't read hundreds of books, you are functionally illiterate. You're a well-known bookworm. You have, I think, more than 7,000 books in your library. You go on to say in your book, any commander who claims he is, quote, too busy to read is going to fill body bags with his troops as he learns the hard way. So as I don't need to tell you, this is a town, Washington, D.C., full of politicians who do not read books, who do not read at all. So what would your message be to a politician who says, I don't have time to read. Every time I read half a page, I get a phone call that there's some emergency. What, you, what would you say to that politician? You, you've got to carve out time to take care of your own personal development. You have written about the outpost. Uh, you know how much effort training, reading, train, uh, rehearsing goes into these young lads, 19, 25 years old, that we put out there on the front lines. And you would expect no less from their leaders that they read and they study. It's not that they don't make mistakes then. But if you're not doing that at the policy and strategic level, then you are shortchanging the nation and you're shortchanging those that you send in harm's way. One of the messages from your book and also that you've talked a lot about this week is how tribal politics and just American society has become. Mm -hmm. Uh, how people don't even talk to each other anymore, how Democrats and Republicans can't even work together anymore. There are politicians out there who their goal is to not bring people together. Their goal often seems to be to divide people, uh, whether it's based on race or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you think of of them? There is no team anywhere. CNN couldn't run like that. The military couldn't run like that. A business couldn't run like that. It would be dysfunctional. It would fail. And our system was set up with three co-equal branches of government. And just to make it a little more uh, difficult, we made a bicameral legislature. And they all have to work together in order to make this work. What we're doing right now is we constantly are dividing. Now, I understand when you have an election, it can be brutal. Uh, It can be pretty hard. I'm smart. You're dumb. I know what's right. You're all wrong. You divide and you try to get yourself elected. Okay, that's democracy. But when the election's over... You don't continue to divide. Then you have to govern. So one, elections takes division, and governing takes unity. And we're not doing the governing part. We're simply going election, 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 divide, divide, divide. Uh, Democracy cannot work like that. I know that you're reluctant to criticize the current president, but a lot of people point out that his campaign seems in a lot of ways aimed at dividing the country, especially on issues related to race. Well, this, the problems of division in this country go back uh, decades right now. Uh, clearly, they go back. They didn't start with one party or one person. And if we're going to correct this problem, which is what we should be focused on, uh, the majority of Americans are going to have to roll up their sleeves and they're going to have to work together. The, you, you can't expect one person to ride in and correct this. We're going to have to work on it together. We're going to have to find common ground or make common ground. But the democracy of the people, for the people... By the people. You're not going to have that work if you're not willing to compromise. You include your resignation letter to President Trump in, in the did. book. And, and in uh, the letter, uh, you note that you think Russia wants to shape a world based on authoritarianism at the expense of the United States and U.S. interests and allies. Do you think Russia should be permitted uh, back into the G7? Well, that's, uh, that's in more of the economic vein, and I, I won't comment on that. But we're going to have to deal with the Putin that is, not the Putin we wanted. I remember in the 1990s when Russian Marines and U.S. Marines trained together in North Carolina for peacekeeping operations. Those days are long past now. 
We're going to have to recognize they've mucked around in our elections, that they've invaded two countries and seized territory. And we're going to have to deal with this. And the only way to deal with it is with allies. You compared your military duty, and I think you've also talked about your duty as Secretary of Defense as riding for the brand, uh, as, as is referred to in the West, meaning I work for Yellowstone Ranch and I ride for the brand. You write, quote, in the U.S. military, we ride for the brand. If a civilian leader tells me to fight wrestlers, that's what I do. If he tells me to round up wild horses, I do that. What is the, your least favorite thing that you did riding for the brand as Secretary of Defense? Well, the book's not about Secretary of Defense. I know. Uh, Jake, and what I don't want to do is put myself from the defense establishment any more into that political discussion than, for example, Secretary Carter, my predecessor under President Obama. He would mm. not do it. He studiously avoided going into political issues. And there's a 200-plus year tradition here, 200-plus years where we keep the military out of political assessments. Uh, probably the most... Uh, difficult thing I did during those years was to write letters to Gold Star parents. As Secretary of Defense. As Secretary of Defense. I'd done it also as a general. I'd done it as a colonel. I'd done it as a lieutenant colonel. I know the gravity of this. I I probably can only sense the degree of tragedy to that family. You have to live through it uh, in order to understand it. But the toughest thing, as a matter of fact, I I put on my desk for whenever I signed those deployment orders, a question that I would ask myself. I actually hand wrote the question out and scotch taped it to my desk mm-hmm. where twice a week or more often I would, I would be signing them. And the question I asked myself each time, will this commitment contribute sufficiently to the well-being of the American people to justify putting our troops in a position to die? Not in harm's way, not to be injured, to die. And I hope that every time I answered that question, yes, and sent the, uh, the troops overseas, that I was doing so with an understanding of what the Gold Star families have been through. Secretary uh, Mattis, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Congratulations again on the book. Thank you, Jake. In moments, the latest story and forecast from the National Hurricane Center. Stay with us. Hurricane Dorian is closing in on the Carolinas and already flooding the east coast of the U.S. Let's get right to CNN's Athena Jones. She's in Charleston, South Carolina. Athena, how how is the situation there? Hi, Jake. Well, historic downtown Charleston may have escaped the worst predictions when it comes to flooding, but there's still a lot of debris, a lot of downed uh, power lines, downed tree branches. Charleston police are warning folks to go ahead and still stay home. They're, they just recently sent out a tweet of a, of a truck with a, with a branch, a tree that had fallen on it. Luckily, that person wasn't badly injured, but they're saying, look, people still have to come out, clear debris, repair these downed power lines, repair these traffic lights, and, and, and so they want folks to still uh, stay tight. But as I said, uh, those storm predictions, uh, those storm surge predictions so far, uh, Uh, have not panned out. All right, Athena Jones, stay safe. Thank you. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Thanks for watching. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.